seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Hey, before you guys sit down, I, I said this in the first service. Thank you so much for being leaders in our church. Jesus said if you want to become more like him, you should become like children, not like adults. We get really boring and crusty the older that we get. You wouldn't believe how many adults that we ask to do this that say no because they're, they're scared. And they, they're thinking too much about themselves. And so thank you for leading us. Let's give them thanks for serving us this morning. You guys can have a seat. Um, in just a moment, we're going to be uh, teaching from Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and just as kind of a sub to that, uh, most of the time, it, during this time, one of our pastors will come up and teach, and, um, and that's right and good as it should be. But we also, from time to time, have the opportunity to welcome uh, teachers who are not pastors, who are not uh, you know, necessarily formally trained uh, or even ordained in ministry, because we believe that the Holy Spirit of God inhabits men and women, ordinary men and women in the church, and gifts them. Uh, with all kinds of different gifts. And we read in Ephesians 4 that some are given to the church's gifts that are apostles, lower A, uh, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, and pastors. And on down through the list you can read. Um, but the point is is that sometimes you, you, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to hear from men and women who uh, can encourage us and teach us from God's word um, that are uh, outside of our pastoral team. And we welcome that, want to encourage that, because that's, that's a part of body health, is every member of the body using their contributions to build up the body. And so we need the eyes, we need the hands, we need the toes, we need everybody operating at maximum capacity to be a full and whole body. And so this morning, um, Christian McKinnon, who serves as one of our deacons, him and his wife uh, Robin are deacons here. He's a He's a father uh, to many children uh, in and out of his home uh, at all times. But uh, he's going to be talking to us about mercy this morning. Uh, Christian works in uh, the business world for, uh, depending on you know wh- what tribe you come from, Alanco, Alanco, whatever, potato, potato. Uh, it's all the same. The division of Eli Lilly uh, and uh, serves there faithfully. And is going to be teaching this morning on something that uh, he embodies so well. So we're so thankful for him. I want to just pray for him quickly and ask for God's grace on him and our time together as we open up. God's word. Father, thank you for gifting your church with men and women full of your spirit, full of your power, full of your presence, overflowing with those characteristics who come to teach us. God, help us to learn. Open up our eyes. Help us to yield ourselves and our thoughts and our ideologies and our preconceived notions about what we think you're saying in Matthew 5. God, show us what you're really saying to us, what Jesus meant for us to hear, the ways that he meant for us to be convicted and challenged in the ways he meant for us to be comforted in these beautiful words so that we may live into your vision for a beautiful life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Christian. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here again uh, to bring God's word. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not uh, a preacher. Um, I don't even have the stuff necessary like notebooks and things to put my sermon notes in. And so yesterday uh, I had these loose pieces of paper that I was uh, uh, trying to wrestle around and I, I needed a notebook. And so the only, the best I could do was to go and raid my kids' uh, uh, <laughs> studies. And so this poor Mason, I had to dump his stuff out and put my sermon notes in. So Mason will get his uh, notebook back later. Uh, but uh, the kids' fingerprints are all over um, the, 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 uh, the sermon as well as a service, uh, I think we could probably just uh, leave here after listening to Edie Kate uh, pray and, and Levi uh, share the word. Um, I want to start off by saying that uh, when we preach at this pulpit, 
the purpose of God's word uh, is, is driving all of the message. And if you want to find out what the purpose of God's word is, we can find that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The good work that we're going to be talking about today is mercy. And this is right in the middle of the Beatitudes. The question before we get into, into that, though, as we connect what Paul was writing with Timothy and what Jesus is preaching about in the Sermon on the Mount, the question for you this morning is, what is God trying to teach you or criticize in you or correct you or train you so that you would show more mercy to those around you. We find ourselves in the middle of the Beatitudes uh, this week. We learned that in Matthew 4 that Jesus comes on the scene and he announces his, his kingdom. His kingdom is coming. And he, and he tells his probably his shortest sermon of all time. Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And that's it. But he doesn't just leave us there. He, he tells us, repent to empty ourselves from the world and to turn around. But to turn around and do what? Well, we look at this and we can see clearly that he fills us with the teachings of chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we know this to be true. This is, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a sermon that was given on the mountainside. So a uh, pretty creative uh, term that we give that. Uh, but John Piper says of this passage where we find ourselves in the middle of the Beatitudes that mercy... The chapter 7, or verse 7, mercy can only come from a heart that has first, first felt its spiritual bankruptcy. And if you look in the Beatitudes, that's verse 3, spiritual bankruptcy, being poor in spirit, has come to us, uh, has come to grief over sin, has learned to wait meekly from the timing of the Lord, and to cry out in hunger for the work of his mercy to satisfy us with the righteousness that we need. And I find that's a great synopsis for where we find ourselves in this all-important passage, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' second sermon, I believe, but it's definitely his longest sermon. And as I did study this, these past three weeks leading up to this sermon, I found that my understanding became very deep on mercy. There were some things that were very confusing, I must admit, and I'll share with, that a little, share with you a little later on that. It was very full, but it was also very satisfying. So I looked up the word mercy in dictionaries and in Greek dictionaries, biblical dictionaries, and I, I found the following, that mercy is showing compassion, forgiveness, generous, showing clemency, bringing relief from something unpleasant, forgiveness and comfort. The Greek dictionary gave some of the similar synonyms, compassionate, gracious, understanding, and one key uh, term that I thought was very fascinating, which is loyal love, loyal love. Merciful action means bringing someone relief from something unpleasant. But I love the Spanish word. Some of you know that our family knows a little bit of Spanish. Uh, the Spanish word for merciful is misericordia, which is very similar to the Latin uh, original word of mercy, which is misery-hearted, being misery-hearted over a situation that a person is, is in or doing something, and, and you're compelled to do something about it. That's what showing mercy is. So let's look at the passage uh, line by line. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We learned earlier in in other sermons previous to this Sunday that Josh and Brandon talked about, um, and the the Greek word here is makarios, uh, which means happy or fortunate. Often indicates uh, someone who is favored by God. Favored by God are you when fill in the blank. Or you are considered one of God's favorite. Or happiness will come to you when you fill in the blank. And you can can use makarios or fortunate, happy, or favored by God in any one of the blesseds in the Beatitudes. Are the merciful, the next phrase, meaning meaning or showing and exercising mercy. Mercy meaning compassionate. Now, the word for, this was a little bit confusing to me as I looked at this. I've, I've known about this. this is, th- these, these words are some of the same words that my grandmother, when she sat me on her lap, and this is how I start my testimony, and, and I remember she turned to the, to the Sermon on the Mount, and she started reading at, at verse 3. And I remember the red words in the, in the Bible, and, and I asked her, what do what those red words mean? And she said, this is, these are Jesus' words. 
So I've known these since I was, since I was a little kid. But as I looked at, at verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I started asking, who will be here today? Who's in the audience? Some, maybe some skeptics. Maybe some people who have uh, been in, a part of faith all of their lives. And everyone in between. And I started asking myself, if, if, if I'm here and I, I doubt what this, what this word brings, what this word talks about, that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It kind of sounds like karma, quite honestly. And so I started asking myself, well, is this karma? I don't think so. And we can see from a passage that we read earlier in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that says it's for by grace that you have been saved. It's not by your works. It, so it's not by works that we're saved. So what does this mean? So the word for, I looked at it, and the Greek dictionary said that it's actually uh, the word uh, is, it should be because. So when we look at the word for, think because. The Greek word here is, is hoti or hotai. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm probably botching the pronunciation of that word. But when we look at the Beatitudes, when we look at the word for, think because. Especially with merciful. They, they are the ones referring to the ones who are showing mercy. Shall, those are the, that, that, that basically is, is, is now and in the future and in eternity. Re, will receive. This word reflects something that has been given. It's a gift of mercy. Not receiving a punishment or the shame that I should. That's what that means. And then finally, mercy is the gift. It's not the same, like I said, as earning salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's verse 10. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is the good work? The good work this week that we're talking about is giving mercy. Uh, one of the things that my, uh, my, our family does as we do Bible studies is we try to paraphrase what what God is, is saying in Scripture. And it, not to replace Scripture, but so that we could try to understand it in our, in our own terms. And so uh, this, is, this is my attempt to paraphrase what Matthew 5, 7 is based on some of the previous words that I, that I shared with you and synonyms from these dictionaries. Happy are the misery-hearted in character. Joyful are the ones who see someone's terrible circumstances and are moved by compassion possibly by anger and love, even when that person could be your enemy. And they provide relief from something unpleasant. And all of that is done because, capital word because, Jesus, who is misery-hearted first, seeing your unpleasant circumstances that probably you did on your own behalf, rescued you from hell by not giving you not giving me what we deserve, but established us as children of God. Uh, if we could show this, the, uh, the slide. There's six things that uh, as I, I think about as we move forward from this point forward, I have, I have some stories to share. Um, some stories that how people have impacted me. And as we, as we go through some of these stories, as you experience some of these things with me, what I'd like for you to do is think. Which ones of these six is God speaking to you? My hope is, is that you'll connect to at least one of these things. Uh, that you'll look at uh, the, the believer stories that I'll share and, and, and you'll connect. That you'll realize ways that many have given you mercy. Every single one of us has received mercy, whether we know it or not, but especially the Lord. Number three, that we would brainstorm places and people to actually give mercy to that we would look for God's mercy where God's mercy is working and then join him there. Or that you would draw from mercy's source. There is a source of, of mercy, and we'll share that later. Or finally, to, to just commit to living Matthew 5, 7. The first story I want to share with you is a, a story um, that, uh, that involves my daughter, uh, Amelia. She and I were at the Metro Baptist Center a few years ago. And uh, the Metro Baptist Center is a place downtown north of the Indianapolis Public Library, uh, just off Pennsylvania, 9th-ish downtown. And their job is to bring church to homeless people. You go in there on on a Sunday, like right now as we speak, there are homeless people there or people on work release out of of prison just for a couple of hours so they can get church and then they have to report back. 
That's the kind of people that, that go to the Metro Baptist Center. And on this particular day, the Metro Baptist Center, um, it, was, it was the 4th of July. It's their annual 4th of July celebration where hundreds of people typically show up to get free food, uh, to get uh, clothing, uh, to get free handouts, or, or sometimes there's even kids that show up, and we have games and, and, and prizes for them. But Amelia and I, our job that day was to make sure that everybody in the food line actually had a food ticket because it caused problems when they get up there. Where's your ticket? Oh, you have to go to this booth. And so we wanted to make sure they all had tickets. And I remember um, on that day we, we came upon a man who was in a wheelchair. And he had about, uh, I don't know, probably seven or eight layers of clothes on. Keep in mind it's 90 degrees out, 4th of July. So this person obviously was homeless and was keeping everything that he had on him. He was in a wheelchair and his foot was propped up. And uh, we asked him if he had his ticket. He didn't. We gave him a ticket. And uh, he asked, is there, like, medical attention that we could get that he could receive that day And, and uh, because he had a problem with his foot. And I looked at his foot. It was propped up. It had a bandage over it. And uh, I, I must say, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, in the medical industry whatsoever. Uh, but uh, I, I was kind of taken back by, by his, his bandage. It was, it was dirty. I don't know, it was probably months since it had been changed. Uh, I saw a couple of blood spots on it. And uh, I think something was oozing out of it. It was it, it was it was deplorable. And he and and I wanted to get eye contact with him and tell him that I, I think someone inside can help you. But as I started to do that, uh, out out of my peripheral vision, I saw my daughter Amelia kneel down and say, "Oh, I can help," and start unwrapping his bandage. Now. You can talk about, okay, well, you should probably take care of your kids a little more, give them rubber gloves, all these kinds of things. And believe me, they were going on in my mind right then. But I'll never forget that moment of, of, and I think, I believe it was the Holy Spirit piercing my heart saying, you're more worried about keeping your hands clean and your daughter is showing mercy. Six-year-old. We can talk about, you know, all the things of, of taking care of your kids and those sorts of things in those situations, but, but I will never forget that lesson. I'll never forget that lesson that uh, we should always be looking for mercy. Um, I told her I wouldn't embarrass her too much, so there you go, Amelia. Another time that, um, you know, I have to say that I'm a student of mercy. Uh, I haven't mastered this at all. Uh, when I first started really experiencing what mercy meant was a time when uh, we were missionaries in Mexico, and uh, it was uh, from 2005 to 2009. We were missionaries there, uh, lived there, served there. And uh, in 2007, I started um, being a mentee to a mentor uh, of mine, and his name's Alex. Alex and Patty. Alex and Patty uh, run a homeless street kid ministry in Mex- downtown Mexico City, and uh, we would get in a truck, load up supplies, food, medical. Uh, medical things, uh, bandages, band-aids, that sort of thing, wraps, as well as as well as a soccer ball, and we would throw that in the back of a truck and go to these places that were just deplorable. Uh, one particular place was called La Raza, which is north of downtown Mexico City, and um, we set up shop uh, every like Thursday afternoon uh, right along some abandoned railroad tracks and in, in an old soccer pitch that was was badly badly needed repaired. And uh, uh, Patty would set up an outdoor kitchen, and Alex and I would then go uh, down into the basements of these subways. I didn't even know there were basements of subways. Uh, But uh, we went down in there. We went into abandoned cisterns. I I was always told that I couldn't go down all the way into the abandoned cistern. Alex would go down and bring about five or six kids up. Um, And there are an estimated just over one million uh, homeless street kids in Mexico City almost the size of Indianapolis, homeless in, in downtown Mexico City. And the, the, just the stench from, um, from, from, from not being bathed, uh, from being drugged out, from just the deplorable conditions that they would live in. And they would come and they would eat the tortillas and, and, and the sandwiches that we would make and they would drink water and uh, we would try to sober them up and then eventually we'd get them on the soccer pitch to, to make them sweat it out, and we'd sit them down, and then we'd share the gospel with them. And I was just a helper. Uh, I saw Alex and Patty do this twice a day, uh, every day, 
uh, from the time that Alex uh, got out of prison. And so what's that story? Because this is the, what really was amazing to me about, about mercy. Because I asked Alex, why do you do this? And he told me the story about how he was addicted to cocaine. He was a user and then later became a dealer. And he was shown mercy by a Christian who came into the prison and showed him for the first time what these red letters in the Bible meant and what the message of Christ was and the hope and the mercy that he could have. And he became a Christian and was discipled in prison. And and, And one day he finally realized, Lord, I need to get out of prison because I need to tell this story. Lord, if you set me free from this prison, I will go and tell transgressors their ways so that they would turn back to you. And and he quoted Psalm 51. And that eventually happened. And from that day forward, since then, Alex and Patty, twice a day, have been visiting these street kid uh, groups throughout downtown Mexico City. And I had the opportunity to to spend a little bit of time uh, with them. That was showing mercy. Which ones of these six... Which ones of these six is God speaking to you? I want you to think of a time when someone acted with compassion and mercy to you on your behalf, maybe because of bad luck, maybe it was because of sin, maybe it was because of just a bad decision that you, that you made. Have you ever caused yourself misery or distress because of your sin or a bad decision? Have you ever cheated and, and, and gotten caught? Have you ever lost your job? Have you ever lost your health? for a short period of time or even a longer period of time and you're still struggling with it? Have you ever been robbed? Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever had anyone come to you and come to your side in any of these cases and comfort you and give you what you need? If you wouldn't mind, let's flip over to Matthew uh, chapter 8 because I want to share with you that Christ wasn't just a teacher but he actually practiced what he preached. He preached in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he didn't just, if we go to the end of chapter 7, okay, he doesn't just say, okay, well, that's the sermon. I'll see you next week. Have fun. Good luck. Report back to me. No, he actually says, I'm going to go practice what I preach. If you, if you look at chapter 8, when, when he came down from the mountain, notice he was still preaching. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. If we go through the list, there was, uh, there was a, a servant of a centurion. And the centurion came and said, I have a servant who is paralyzed and in terrible condition, terrible pain. Just say the word, and I know that you can, you can heal him. And there's, there's, there's a big discourse that we're not going to get into about how the, the centurion actually uh, really surprised and amazed Jesus. But Jesus said the word, and he was saved. Next, there was Peter's mother-in-law. We believe this was, this was actually Peter, the disciple, and his mother-in-law had a fever. Now, I don't know about you. If you what, what, what's, what's our natural reaction when someone has a fever? Yeah, it's... Hey, step back. You have a fever. I'm going to leave. I don't want that. What does Jesus do? He actually goes toward it. And, and, and he, he cured that fever. Next we see that there's a storm. And the disciples are, are fearful. We're going to die. Jesus, do something. And Jesus did. He calmed the storm. He gave mercy. Next we see he, he, uh, he met two men who were, who were demon-possessed. And he sent, the, sent these these, these demons into a, a herd of pigs. And they tried to figure out if they could swim or not, and they didn't. It's kind of a fun story to, to show your kids. Next we see a paralytic. A paralytic who, who, who was suffering, who Jesus knelt down and healed. And we see finally in, in chapter, uh, chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 13. Because Jesus isn't just doing this in a vacuum. He's just not doing this with all of his fans. There are, there are other people there too. There are the Pharisees. There, there are, the, there are his, his enemies for the next few chapters all the way until his death. And we see that, 
This is where uh, the picking of the fight starts in verse 13. Go and learn what this means. He tells the Pharisees this. Go and learn what this means. All right, we're listening. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus just leaves it there. Jesus was in the business of bringing sinners, those people who needed mercy, back to the kingdom of God. That was his business. He didn't just preach the Sermon on the Mount, but he practiced it. Not a little while later, but immediately. Immediately after he got done with the sermon, he came down and started healing and bringing sinners back. One of the ways that... um, Jesus continues to bring sinners and people who are in need of mercy back to him are through ministries uh, here, right here in town. And I want to share these next three little uh, sh- short stories are, are, are stories of things that, that I've had the opportunity to experience. Uh, RMC is involved in a ministry called the Poor House. And the Poor House is not spelled P-O-O-R, but P-O-U-R. To pour a drink of water. And the poorhouse, their mission is to uh, find homeless people and to give them hope. And to not just preach to them, not to just disciple, not to just give them food and clothes, but actually give them a place to live and to disciple them and to teach them and to come alongside and to build community around them, to, to give dignity back to these homeless people. And these aren't just homeless people who lost their job like last week or they just got evicted last month. These are people who have been homeless for over 10 years. These are people that government agencies here in town have thrown their hands up and said, we can't do anything with you. But the poorhouse comes in and says, Jesus can. We can. And um, what, what the, what the poorhouse does is, is, is essentially give dignity to these homeless people. And since 2015, January of 2015, 400 people have been placed 400 homeless people are no longer homeless who have homes. It's amazing. Yes, go ahead and clap for these guys. This is God's work. And 90%, it gets even better. And you would think, gosh, that's almost three years. I'm sure there's been, you know, what's the turnover rate? Are you below 50%? I'm sure you are. It's 90%. 90% of those people are still in their homes. Why? Because this community has come alongside them. Now, RMC, I, I have to admit, uh, this is where I'm going to get a little transparent, and uh, uh, maybe it doesn't sound like I'm very merciful uh, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I share this part of the story. A couple of months ago, uh, our job in the AMC is, is to, to go and find furniture with, from people who don't want their couch or, or their love seat or, or their kitchen table uh, anymore, and they just want to throw it out. And we come along and pick it up, and we take it to a warehouse on the, on the uh, near east side, and uh, then it's distributed on Fridays uh, to actually be put in these homes uh, for, for the homeless. I have to admit, though, I wasn't seeing the impact. And some of us in our MC, and you know who you are, uh, we weren't seeing the impact, the true impact of, of what, what this ministry was doing. And uh, a couple of Fridays ago, I, I, I took a half day off of work, and I had the opportunity to chaperone some kids who were taking that same furniture that we, that we delivered to this warehouse put it back on the same trailers uh, that we used previously to take it there. And we took it to these homes. And I don't know if you've ever seen like HGTV or any of those shows that where the house gets demolished or there's a big remodel and, and there, a week goes by and the family comes back and there's tears and there's, there's, there's crying, there's, there's, there's laughter, there's smiles, there's all of this emotion from I can't believe that what you've done with my home and that's what I got to experience. I got to experience that impact. And uh, what was amazing to me was that this is Jesus's, this isn't poor house's ministry, this is Jesus's ministry of, of mercy right here in Indianapolis. Another place where I've, I've seen Jesus's mercy is this place called Green Tree, and some of you had the opportunity to go there as well. Green Tree is an, is an assisted nursing home, an assisted living nursing home, uh, where my father-in-law actually lived for a short period of time. And we got to realize that over, over, over the time of visiting him, that some of his people that he would hang out with uh, were Christians, but they couldn't get to church uh, because they were sort of shut in. And so uh, one of my kids decided, 
we should bring church to them. If they can't go to church, let's bring it to them. And uh, so periodically we go there. Uh, we've been uh, doing this um, off and on for the past uh, four or five years where we, on Sunday afternoon, we just bring church to them. We'd bring games. We'd bring some sort of a lesson. Typically it was a Soma Kid uh, lesson, and my kids would just basically repeat that lesson to them. And uh, we would sing. Uh, Maddie would, would lead music. And I got to see uh, God's mercy delivered to those people. They were the unforgotten. They were the forgotten. They were the, 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 the people in our community, just like the homeless, that, that sometimes in our everyday life we tend to forget. Another place um, that, that I see mercy happening in our, communi- in our community, uh, actually about 30 steps from where I stand right now through those doors, actually it's less than 30 steps, those are baby steps, is a place called Safe Families. Uh, safe Families, uh, their mission is to create uh, a safe environment for families in need. Uh, so the way this works is that if, if I am a family, and typically it's a, a single mom who is in crisis mode, uh, they might have just lost their job, there might be uh, a, a, a danger of eviction. Uh, there might be um, uh, various reasons why they can't take, take care of their kids. They will knock on this door on the outside, and they'll meet with these people, uh, and they then will intake their kids and find a safe place for these kids. Uh, some of you have done this in our congregation. And some of you are that are a safe family, and you've taken in kids. We had an opportunity a few years ago, um, actually just a couple of years ago, to take in a little boy named Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah, and some of you know Isaiah, uh, and, and, and some of you uh, actually per, uh, purchased clothes, winter coats for him. Uh, some of you have given gifts uh, to, to his, to his uh, mom. Last year there was a, there was a, a couple uh, in, in, in our church who gave a gift basket uh, to uh, his, his mom, Crystal. And uh, last January, Isaiah, in, around our kitchen table, actually had the opportunity uh, to hear uh, the gospel for the umpteenth time, and this time he actually said, I want to accept Christ. This was just this past year in January. And uh, Isaiah, unfortunately, uh, is not with us now. He's with an aunt. And the reason he is living with an aunt uh, um, is, is because his mom did pass away. So one of the gifts, one of the last gifts that, that Isaiah's mom was given uh, at Christmas time was by one of, one of our own here at Soma. I'm deep, deeply touched by, by this community who are, are helping uh, to give their time at Poor House through RMC. Uh, uh, people who are willing to go to nursing homes, the forgotten, people who are willing to invite kids in crisis situations that are almost about to enter in uh, to, to foster care. But that, that crisis is averted through safe families. There are many ways that, that SOMA touches uh, the, the people in need, people who are, are the forgotten here in town. And I just want to take a time out right now to say this, that you don't need a pastor, you don't need an MC leader, you don't need a deacon to, to give you permission to go show mercy. You have been given permission. Why? Because you have been shown mercy. And that's how this reads in Matthew 5, 7. You don't, uh, give, you don't give mercy so that you can earn your way into the kingdom. You've already earned your way into the kingdom. And I shouldn't use the word earn because it's a gift. But because of that gift, you now should be compelled to give mercy. And my hope is that through some of these, some of these stories that you're hearing, that you would connect with, with, with one of these numbers up here, with one of these statements up here of, of how God uh, should, should move you. You might be wondering, gosh, but I just don't have anything left in the tank. I give and I give and I give. I want you to, uh, to turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is from the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's, he's, uh, he's opening up his greeting. And in verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So which one of the Trinity is he talking about? He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about Jesus. That only leaves one more left. That's God the Father. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now why is this important? I think it's important because you can see the source of mercy. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's where mercy comes from. Mercy is, is basically not getting what we deserve. We deserve punishment and shame for our sin, for who we are, for what we've done, for what we've thought. God knows our thoughts. We deserve that punishment. But God says, I love you so much that I'm not going to give you that punishment. In fact, I still need to give that punishment. And Jesus took it. That's the gift that we get. And this Christmas season, that should be first and foremost on our hearts. One of the... the uh, one of our, our, our favorite musicals, Robin and I, one of our favorite musicals is uh, Les Miserables. And since, it's op- since it opened in Broadway in 1987, the musical Les Miserables, which, which means, by the way, in English, the miserables, the forgotten, the, 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 the people that are on a lower platform than the rest of us, those, are, those, are the, those people. Les Miserables has captured the American imagination running until 2003. It's the fourth longest running show in Broadway history. Um, the story based on Victor Hugo's 1862 novel by the same name tells the story of Jean Valjean. Some of you who are musically oriented can, can hear him singing right now. But he was a peasant condemned to 19 years of slavery in prison uh, from the, for the crime of stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving nephew. Embittered and degraded by his prison experience, Valjean commits a property crime almost immediately against a kindly priest when he's on parole, parole who had given him shelter for the night. Saved from, this is, this is, this is where the story, uh, it, 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 just the most important part of the story, is that, that he was saved from re-imprisonment by the priest's refusal to accuse him. He was caught by the priest, but the priest refused. He gave him mercy. He refused to, to accuse him. And Valjean commits himself to a life, because of that, love, that act of love, of, uh, to a life of service and virtue. The path he concludes, he can, only, uh, he can only follow by breaking his parole and going underground. So the rest of the story tracks his, his success and his mercy that he gives to so many people. But he's chased by this guy uh, named Javert, who is, who is bent on, on obedience and justice and following the letter of the law. And Valjean uh, eventually becomes a, a factory owner, and he continues to use his wealth to give mercy to those around, like the poor French looking for work, like Fantine, who's a prostitute, uh, who has Cosette. He adopts Cosette, and he saves Marius, who eventually uh, would, would marry Cosette. So you see, the reason I love this musical is because it just oozes the Bible. And, and, and the point of the arrow of this story is mercy. Mercy is given. Mercy is given. Why? Because Jean Valjean was given mercy first. James chapter 2 talks about a partiality. It talks about um, uh, judging others. And it also talks about mercy and judgment together. And which one is greater? And, and it, it, I would encourage you to, to read uh, James chapter 2 because it's, it's tightly connected with, with mercy. But James chapter 2 basically talks about the fact that... It's not okay that when you see someone rich, that you give them the best. That you say, here, sit here. Here's the best food. Let me, let me cater to you here. But you look to the poor person and you say, ah, just here, here's the floor. Or, or sit in the back row. Or, or you, your place is here. That's, that's showing partiality. And, John, and James said, that's not okay. It's not okay. And here's why. In verse 12, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We should all get an amen for that, shouldn't we? We're all to be judged. But God has given us mercy. I want to conclude with this uh, final story 
One of my favorite stories, funny enough, it was a story that I shared when I, was, when I shared with you about six months ago. Um, but but I, I, I couldn't help but, 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 but share this. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is about a, a rich young ruler talking to Jesus. And Jesus tells the story. Uh, but before we go there, the lawyer stood up and, and he put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, and this is from, just in case you're wondering, from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this was a Jewish person, most likely. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he rescued him. No, that's not how the story goes. He passed on the other side is what happened. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side too. But a Samaritan, an enemy of Jewish people, as he journeyed, came to where he was, when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he said on him, set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. We see here God, God the, the God of comfort, answers, who, are, who is our neighbor? And I, I suggest to you that this passage is what embodies mercy. Jesus taught that. John Piper says, uh, uh, four things that we learn about mercy from this passage. Uh, first, the merciful see distress. I don't, I don't just mean they see it. Okay, okay. there's a homeless person and we go on by. No, they see it and they're compelled to do something about it. The other two saw the person on the, ro- on the side of the road. And it wasn't like it was a where's Waldo competition. The guy was right there in the middle of the road. They saw him but passed on the other side. Number two, that mercy responds internally with compassion. The Good Samaritan saw distress, and because of his disposition, because of who he was, because of who he is, was forced to act with compassion, with comfort, with mercy. Thirdly, the Good Samaritan responded with practical effort to relieve the distress, to relieve the pain in the short term and in the long term. He took him on his own animal. He spent his own money. He put him up in a safe place. He took care of him. He gave provision for this person to be able to live and to thrive. And number four, mercy can happen when the person who needs mercy just happens to be your own enemy. So which ones of these six most resonate with what God, what, with what you believe God is, is telling you to do? For me, I know that number four is the one that really sticks out like a sore thumb that I need to continue to look to see where God is working and just simply join him there. Because many times we as Christians look at people who need mercy and we feel like, well, I don't have the time or maybe I need permission or maybe I need this. Maybe I need to get my stuff together before I can help them. I don't think that that's how uh, this reads from Luke chapter 10 in the Good Samaritan. There was quick action. And he had compassion, and he saw this person. He was misery-hearted, as Jesus so often is with us when he sees our misery, and he gives us mercy. So I want to pray as we conclude, and I want to specifically pray that, that you would connect with these stories, that you would see stories unfolding in front of you, and that you would run into the need, that you wouldn't skirt around it like the priest and the Levite did but that you would do it in the way that the Samaritan did. Because that's what we're called to do. 
And when we believe that we're, we're, we don't have enough in the tank to be able to give more mercy, guess what? God's going to strap another fuel tank on, on your back filled with more mercy that only comes from him, God the Father, and he's going to allow you to give mercy just the way that he's designed it to give. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for um, the fact that you practiced what you preach. That you weren't hypocritical, but that you actually took action not the next week, not the next quarter, not the next business plan time, but that you, you got off of the mountain and you started healing, you started giving hope, and you started giving mercy immediately. You did it with compassion. And I pray that same compassion would, would fill us as well. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't wait for permission to be merciful, that we would uh, be quick to act. And Lord, I pray for those people in this, in this room that, that may be just wondering if this is even real, if you're real. And I pray, Lord, that, that during this Christmas season that, 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 that the, um, the glare of the tinsel and the distraction would, would melt away, and that they would just simply see you, one who came down and sacrificed yourself on the cross and, gave, and, and, and took the judgment that we all deserve. And you took that punishment. And you put death in its grave. Lord, we ask that you would give us an understanding of where we need to be merciful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we um, prepare to take communion, there we go. As we prepare to take communion together, the Apostle Paul instructs us on how we're to take communion. He says, don't. Come to the table without examining yourself. It's a time of self-reflection where we pause to ask, um, where, where do we need to confess? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to embrace faith uh, and, and hopefulness? And so two just things that come to mind. Um, one is receiving mercy, and two is extending mercy. Mercy received always becomes mercy extended. And so for some of us, um, the first thing we need to do is receive the mercy that's being offered from Jesus. Um, it's easy to go to church and not experience the mercy that melts us. You can show up and be religious, um, but, but we can get preoccupied. We can be, some of us, uh, when, you, when you look at the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, uh, some of the stories that Christian read, one of the things that st- always stands out to me is the aggressive pursuit of mercy on, the, on behalf of those who are desiring it, who God is drawing to himself. There's the, the blind man that throws himself in the path of Jesus and, and even like it makes his disciples uncomfortable. And he just says, have mercy on me, son of David. And, and you see the woman with a flow of blood issue who grabs Jesus by the hem of his garment. There's this aggressive pursuit, have mercy on me. And for many of us, we're not pursuing him. And the reason we're not experiencing his mercy is because we don't, we don't, we don't want it. We're, we're too preoccupied with our own needs, our own brokenness, our own doubts, our own um, righteousness even, like our own pursuit of getting it right, that it's keeping us from experiencing the mercy that Jesus has to offer. And the beautiful thing about the gospel, the good news of the gospel is Jesus delights in giving it. And the, the passage Christian read, he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The crazy thing about Jesus is he desires mercy. And what he desires is not only his greatest desire, it is his greatest accomplishment. He desires mercy. He makes mercy possible through sacrifice. Jesus sacrifices himself to bring us to God. And so we have access to it if we will just be humble and cry out, God, have mercy on me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just to be one who cries out mercy and receives it. And that's what the table's about. It's about coming to celebrate the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us, cleansing us and making us right with God and right with each other. And then mercy extended. Are we walking in that pattern of a life of mercy? What I love about Christian and Robin is that they, they embody this, not perfectly, but they are uh, pace setters for us in this regard. And that's why I wanted them to, to teach us. Um, they came here, uh, moved back from Mexico, uh, had a house church going on in their home, and then everybody just moved away to be missionaries. And so they're like, well, I guess we have to find like a real church. Uh, so they, 
they showed up at Soma, and they just were living this life of mercy, going in there. And you heard all the, like, crazy things that they do, which is just, like, normal for, like, I think the, the, the family of faith. And they just gathered around them a community of, of mercy showers and mercy givers. And then they just modeled this way. They started a missional community, and they began to serve in these different ways. That's beautiful because it's so simple. Like, they didn't ask for permission. They didn't wait for the church. I hear so many of us that are, you know, sometimes complaining, well, I wish my MC was more service-oriented. I wish this would happen. I wish the church would be able to say, how about we just be the change that we want to see? How about we do for the one what we want to see happen for the hundreds and the thousands and a, a societal level, the national level, at a political level? How about we just live that way by God's grace in our communities and become this compelling counterculture? And so that's, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to lead us deeper into that life of mercy. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you've received his mercy, you've cried out, and God has given you his mercy we want to invite you to come and receive communion. We have stations at the front, stations at the back. Come, take a piece of the bread, tear it off, dip it into the cup, and be reminded that God is for you. He's with you, and he wants you to live into this beautiful life that Jesus describes in Matthew 5. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't come up here. Don't, don't take this meal presumptively. Don't take this ritualistically. It means nothing if it's not coupled with faith and with the grace of God. And so maybe stay in your seat and just... Maybe ask yourself, what would it look like for me to receive the mercy of God so that I could give mercy to those that God's placed around me? And so let's take a moment. Let's reflect. Um, You come as you're ready, and then uh, we're going to sing a couple songs that send you back out into the world here.